Blog Talk Radio. Gerald, the boss man, should have special gifts for you. He has a nice book out. It's on Amazon. It's called Hostile, an urban tragedy. Darius Slaughter here with me on the boss man show. Great to have you on the show, Darius. I can tell you off the air, man, I read your story. I read your kid, man, and he really struck with me. I definitely want to have you on to talk to our listeners about some things you've experienced in your life, man. So, got to have you on the show, brother. How are you doing on your end, buddy? Man, I'm doing excellent, extraordinary, extravagant. I woke up this morning and I woke up free, so you know it can't get much better than that. Yes, indeed. Now, Darius, you got this this new book out, man, on Amazon here. Uh, tell my list a little bit first about yourself and about the book you wrote and what inspired you to write this book that you wrote. Uh, basically, you know, I was like similar to most other hustlers, different because every hustler has a different motivation, uh, different background, so. Coming from the streets, uh, the book basically focuses on my last seven years in the game out of basically like two decades. But when I took my last knock, took a federal knock, went to court, beat it, pretty much ended up coming back, signing. You know, they tried to reindict me like three or four times, and I got locked up. And basically the lifestyle I was living at the time was unbelievable. It was even at the time that I was living it, it was crazy. We would go through things, and our everyday conversations were so absurd and so abnormal to normal people, but this was our reality. And we would talk about it all the time, like, man, you know, people wouldn't believe the things we go through, the things that we see, the things that we do. So when I actually signed for my time, I was on bond for two years and fought my case, and I went to court and signed for my time for the world. You know, my lawyers used to laugh and make jokes when I walked in the office, like, oh, it's a real criminal now. We don't have to, we don't have to shoot a toad and candy ass, everything. It's a real criminal in here. You know, she told me, you know, look, I'm going to do damage control. We're going to knock it down to this, this, and this, and then you're going to rest time to time, go on vacation, come home, and get back to business as usual. Yes, ma'am. So I knocked it all down. When I went to the county, I started to recount different memories. So here in Texas, they read your mail. So they sift through your mail, and they look for anything that they can re-indict you on, or any other charges to try and wow. correlate or collaborate to take you back to court and get you re-indicted. So you have to, when I start to write the letters, Started to write the chapters of the book, I had to hide them in letters to my little brother and send them home. So basically, for about the next two and a half years, about once a month or every five or six weeks, depending on my schedule and how busy I was, <laughs> which is funny because I was in the penitentiary, but here in Texas, you actually have to work. So between work, working out, you know, and just gathering my thoughts and trying to maintain, I would write a chapter, edit a chapter, and then hide it in a letter and send it home to my brother. Well, my brother collected the chapter. So when I came home three years and 10 months later, my brother gave me a folder, and it was all the letters in order in the folder. So the whole book was in the folder buried in letters. So, you know, I came home uh, reacclimated into society. It's crazy when you come home. I was on a rough farm here in Texas, where a lot of people call it a ride farm, people getting stabbed, people getting beat up daily, all kind of drama and headaches all the time, stayed on lockdown. 
when I came home, you know, it was a big change, the switch coming back to the world, trying to reacclimate into society, go get a job, have relationships, you know, just wired down. So I went through some things and finally hit a point where I needed to go ahead and get back on feed. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and put this book out. Well, I was still on parole, so as soon as the book released, they blackballed it. Whoa. CDC put it on the blacklist. Parole officer tried to revoke my parole, wouldn't let me travel, wouldn't let me promote. So, again, the book had to sit. About a year and a half ago, hooked up with a guy, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Dave, put me on to a publicist, and she showed me how to get everything done the right way, and then got put on Pitchfork Media here recently and walked to the races. In the meantime, in between time, I talked to at-risk youth, I talked to decision makers, I talked to young adults, I talked to guys that just got out to let them know that, yeah, you know, like right now I work for a corporation, I'm coming to corporate. So I know a lot of stuff that they say that you can't do. And it was like that even when I was in the streets. They say, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't make money, you can't go here, you can't go there. You know, I was a fat kid. I never really got dependent on other people. I depended on myself. So every time you told me I couldn't, I always had to, just to exactly. prove to myself that I could. So in this case, you know, you come home and say, oh, well, you can't get a job. Okay, got a job. Oh, if you get a job, you got to go do manual labor here and you got to go do this there. And there's nothing wrong with doing manual labor, but I had a skill set that I had before I went in. So you're telling me that I can't apply my skill set to make $35 an hour and you want me to go build pallets for three cents an hour. That makes no sense. So of course, had to work around. No, whatsoever. So I worked around the system, applied my skill (laughs) set, ended up on the corporate side, running clubs for a major corporation. Now I catch planes all the time. I catch a plane in the morning to go work. For all the people at CIAA, I will be in North Carolina. So, you know, it's a beautiful thing to fight the system and win and set the example because so many people that get locked up see the system and see the way the deck is stacked against them and come home and feel like they can't do anything else. Exactly. And you have to overcome that, man, because a lot of people just, uh, they take they take a bad incident and just let it o- overtake them. Like, you, you got to overcome that. You got to figure out the next move. When something bad happens to me, I try to figure out my next move. No, I, I don't ask why because the, the why may not be for me to know. But how, how do I react to this bad thing happening to me? That's how I try exactly. to approach my staff. I try to tell when I go to talk to young kids myself, uh, you know, try to show them the way because a lot of young kids today want it easy. It's not easy. It's like mm-hmm. I, I didn't ask to not have both my parents here with me who died of cancer. I, I didn't ask for that, but I, that's what I had to face, you know. So it's like, kind of did affect my career negatively and not do my radio thing because I'm grieving for my parents. I need to take what happened, see if I can help others who have those diseases and overcome that and help build and raise money as a a tribute to my parents. So for you, coming out of the penitentiary, beating the system, and now living your your best life now, man, that's a hell of a thing to do. And we need more people like you to, you know, share your story because people need to hear stories of positivity and success because success breeds success in my my view, Darius. Definitely. And and, and a lot of times, if I had to go back, of course I would go back. I would not mess with the snitch. You know, there are certain females that I wouldn't mess with just because they were grime and they were dirty. But overall, my life and who the man that I am today is a product of my experiences. So it can't be all sunshine and rainbows, and then all of a sudden you expect to grow up and be strong. You're going to make mistakes. That's that's you. That's human. 
That's human nature. That's humanity. You're going to jump the wrong way at times. You're going to knock your head. But like you said, the recovery is what happens. How do you recover from that? How do you move on from that? Do you grow or do you fall? I've been, they say the pressure will mold you or fold you. I've been places that have made most people curl up and die. I've seen it. I've seen grown men crying in racks, cutting their wrists, doing everything they can to go to psych war because they just can't maintain. So you have to figure it out. And the other thing is, do you let one situation in your life define the rest of your life? So you make one bad decision, the state lays it on you, they, they label you, they put this X on you, they tell you, oh, well, you can't live anywhere, you can't get a job, you know, you can't vote, you're, you know, you're three-fifths of a man now. So you allow that to define you the rest of your life. And you live at a certain level because somebody else told you to live that way. Or do you pick up the pieces and keep it moving? And there's always a way around it. You're going to have to work harder. It's never going to be easy. And the biggest thing I find with the newer generation is they don't like to work. They sure don't. They don't like pain. They don't like pain. If it's hard, they don't want to do it. If it hurts, they don't want to do it. They don't, they're, they're not geared to put in that extra effort. In my situation, for me to do what I do with my record, I have to go farther than anybody. I have to go harder than anybody. I have to go to work before everybody else. And there's a lot of days that I'm at work longer than anybody else in order to make and maintain myself knowing that I had to fight this uphill battle every day. It's the same thing with the book. There's a lot of books and a lot of people that get a lot of airplay that are purely negative-based books that are, some of them are written okay, some aren't. Uh, the diction, this book is written at an intelligent level. It's not a knock to the game, and it's not a glorification. Never do you hear me say a certain amount of weight, like this many keys or that many keys. You never hear me glorify the body. Oh, his blood spilled out. And the drops hit so and so on the face. To me, that's fiction. On the real life side, I've seen all that times 1,000. But that's not the case with this book. It's not the focus. The focus of this book is an intelligent look at my mental decisions, the motivations to make those decisions, and the consequences and repercussions of those decisions. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I didn't have brand new cars. I didn't have $80,000 trucks. I didn't have motorcycles, dogs, jewelry, Rolexes. At the same time, I'm telling you, yeah, I had all that, but when my homeboy gets 30 years and his daughter is 11 months old and realizes his daughter will be out of college before he comes home. And I'm the one that he calls and says, take care of my daughter for the next 27 years until he comes home. I'm the person that his baby's mother calls. I'm the person that her grandmother calls when this little girl needs tennis shoes, when this little girl needs stuff for her ballet recital when she needs to go and somebody needs to go pay for her piano lesson because daddy's never going to be there. Exactly. He's never going to be there. Now, add in the fact that her mom's junior. So when is she going to find Mr. Wright? And will it be the second guy she dated after him or the 200th guy? So now you have all these different guys mixed in the equation who feel however they feel about the six two tattooed bald guy coming in and out of the house, seeing her daughter on a regular basis, who have their own theories on life and what should and shouldn't happen. So you have a whole other Molotov cocktail that's mixed up that could be a recipe for a disaster just in me trying to keep my word to a comrade. Exactly, because, you know, dudes are always cynical 
Wazzy over here. What's what's this about? It's on scene, right? And if she if she breaks it down to a dude, dude still may feel some kind of way about it, no matter what. It depends on how he's built. Because if he's insecure, it'll never work. You got that right. Insecurity is, is the death of everybody. You know, a lot of these guys they do all this stuff trying to impress females, and the day they sign for the time, the same girl they were trying to impress with the homeboy or their cousin or their brother. Right. I tell guys, the flip side for these guys, you go out here, you make all this street money, your baby mom, your girlfriend, you take her to the mall, you buy her clothes, you buy her Nikes, you buy her Timberlands, you get some nails done, a hair done every week, but you don't put her through school. You don't tell her to go to school, you handcuff her. So then when you do take the night, and in this game, in this street game, you there's two exits. You either get a box or a sale. That's the only two ways you go. That's the only two ways. There's no 401k for a hustler. You got that right. So you're a boxer or I can count on one hand the hustlers I know that have successfully retired and not done time, not been shot, not been stabbed, and not had to go on the run for decades. And I'm, I'm 46 years old. I've been out here since I was 12. I know one who retired with $1.1 million and got out of the game. I know three, and that was because one of them had a brilliant wife who he put through school, and she turned around after she got her business degree and actually paid attention and rolled all his money and legitimized all his business. If it wasn't for her, he'd been dead because he's a knucklehead, but his wife, he got the right one. She was brilliant, and she knew how to handle him and knew how to control him to the point it made him wire down and saved his life. But the majority, they take these girls, take them to the mall, buy them clothes, get their hair done, get their nails done. Never tell them to go to school. Never tell them to get a trade. Never send them back to get an education. So when they get locked up, and now you have three kids, and then you wonder why she's out in the street because she, she has developed habits over these years. You develop these habits for her. Have to have her nails done every two weeks. Have to have her hair done every three weeks. And she is going to fulfill those habits. And it's the only way that she can find to fulfill it is by jumping on the next man out here in the street, that's what she's going to do. Well, you could have took the same money that you blew at the gallery, one-tenth of that, and put her in school. And she would have had a degree, an education. She would have came out with a trade, a job, insurance for your children, and her own money, and then maybe, just possibly, she would have kept it 100 with you when you got stretched out. But now you want to call her out her name. All this deep bleep and all that. And talk to her crazy, and she ain't this and she ain't that. That was my favorite thing. Locked up, I used to make dudes fight. Man, my baby mama ain't this. Well, what was she when she lay down with you? Because you just said she had babies by like three different people in your hood. So clearly, she wasn't a rocket scientist when she chose you. Got that right. <laughs> oh, man. You tripping. Oh, you tripping. Yeah, I'm tripping because I'm listening to you. What you're saying is not logical. We put ourselves in position. When I got ready to go inside for my time, I told my girlfriend, you're on your own. Look, you got a new car. You're in nursing school. Take care of yourself. I see you when I see you. Because I did what I did. I'm going away. This was a business. And in my school, it was looked at as a business. And it was talked about as a business. Every day it was understood. Look, man, it's risk versus reward. What y'all going to do? And we're going to get this money. Well, we all on the same page. It's understood. Let's go do what we do. But we know the consequences of what we're doing. As a grown man, the sad part is most of these kids don't know the consequences and repercussions of what they're doing. 
They have no clue. I can take any kid right now and ask him about the new video game out and ask him, hey, what's the cheat code? How you do this? How you do that? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old can tell me everything about it. I can go to the worst crime neighborhood and see a little kid doing something and say, hey, you know how much time they going to get you for that? Nah, I don't care. Man, I don't care. I'm going to give me a Rolex. I'm going to give me some rims. And then in the state of Texas, they'll put you away at 12 and let you out at 25 like nothing happened. That's normal here. Texas them, has the biggest penitentiary. For them, it's free, free labor for them, though. To lock you up, it's free labor for them. Yeah. Since they, they make y'all work. Oh, yeah. Texas, you know, you know, the, you know, the federal government gives a stipend to every penitentiary for every inmate for every day. On top of the stipend, Texas is completely self-sufficient. They grow their own food, make their own clothes. Whatever it is your skill set is in the world is what they apply you to when you come in. They give you testing, ask you what certifications you have. Get your state certification shipped in for you. So if you're a welder in the world, you're a welder in TDCJ. If you're a diesel mechanic in the world, they will send you to a diesel shop in TDCJ. Mm. If you're a, you work Highline in the world, you will ride around as an S1 trustee, and you will work on Highlines all through TDCJ so that they don't have to call outside crews to do the labor. Damn. I think the most sobering moment in the penitentiary was when I sat up and watched people pick cotton for the first time. Oh, Lord. Yes. Picking Every cotton. inmate, let me, you, let me explain the system to you. The system is you have 13 inmates, and for every 13 inmates, you have a CO on a horse with a 357 Magnum. So each, each set of 13 is a squad. You have anywhere from 1 to 15, 20 squads. And one end, you have an inmate with 10 dogs, Next up, just in case they get away. On the other end, you have a certified sniper, which they call a high rider. The high rider takes the shot if the inmate escapes. If he misses them, then they put the dogs on him. Each inmate has a 13 and a half foot sack. Average inmate height is five nine five ten, so he has a sack that's approximately three and a half feet longer than him that he's supposed to fill in a lot of time that he's out there picking cotton. Whoa. If now, if you've never seen anybody that has grown cotton before, cotton only grows four or five feet off the ground. The majority of picking cotton is duck walking. You're doubled over and you're duck walking, and it has sharp thorns. Unless you have commissary and can buy gloves, you don't get gloves. So you're in the penitentiary picking cotton with a 13 and a half foot sack in 80, 90 degree weather, duck walking. With a gentleman behind you on a horse with a 357 Magnum, that's an overseer. That's modern day slavery. Yeah, I mean. Now, so for all the people out here that are street hustlers and I'll never work, ain't no way in hell I'll go get a job, I ain't gonna get no nine to five, you wanna work for $10 an hour, you will work for free in TDCJ and you will pick cotton, potatoes, you will pick corn, carrots, you will. Weed, the same way it's on TV, where they have the Aggie, looks like the big hole with the 10-foot handle and a 7-8 pound head on it. That's how they cut grass, and they sing songs just like life. And they cut grass down through the ditch, through the snakes, through whatever pops up, back up the other side, and straight down the side of the road, and straight across the field, and wherever they tell you to go, you will work somewhere. 
then you go to work and they bring you back in at nighttime, I'm assuming. Yes. They bring you back in at night to go back out. And most of those cats clo- are closed country. This the hard heads, the knuckleheads. I ain't working in the world. I ain't getting no job. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But you're going to get out there. You're going to get out there and you're going to work now. Wow. And see, I hope people listening to this will some kid or some individual who is, uh, you know, deep in this hustle game and deep in the streets will hear this and say, hey, I, I can still make a change today. It hasn't quite caught up with me yet, but I can change today because if the Lord gives you breath, you you can change if you want to. It's your free will. You intellect to do so, but I'm hoping our audience is taking this in because Hearing this from a man who's on the inside and on the outside, who's made it, who's turning his life around and doing, living his best life, you have to respect that people and take this in and get this man's book because it can help you turn your life around for sure. Yeah, and and the thing is, people are people are so intent on what they really won't do. You know, in the street, I ain't, I'll never do this. I ain't going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Instead of pushing them on all the things that they want to do. And then they hit that penitentiary, you're going to be right there and tell you to them. Are you going to sit in that hole with no commissary, no movement, 23 hours a day like now? Go ahead and make the ass in there. They got somewhere for you. They don't care. They got Texas has, Texas has the biggest penitentiary system of any state in the USA and bigger than most countries. Most countries don't have as big a penal system. As the state of Texas. Wow. So to put that in perspective, when you get in here and you think about the amount of inmates, they have bull farms, chicken farms, hog farms, grow their own meat, grow their own food, build everything that they need built, <laughs> do cut-rate labor for the guards. So when you're sitting up lecturing about all the things that you won't do, this long list of things you won't do, man, I ain't going to work at McDonald's. Man, I ain't going to do this. I ain't going to do that. Ain't no way in hell I'm going to do that. Don't put that white on. We're going to see what you want to do. Because you're, you're less than a person. You're an inmate now. So whatever they happen to beat you to death, well, hey, they're going to write that off. They're going to write that off. That's how that's going to work. They're going to get away with it. You know, I, I, I was a trainer when I was in there on the dogs, and I've actually been through the inmate cemetery. You know, in life, it was a big joke. So-and-so died, they go down, they buried so-and-so, they buried so-and-so, you know, they went down, sang a song, stole a pie, and went to the baseball game. Man, this cats and is never coming home. They're never coming home. And the, and the sad part is, they have relatives. You know, they have brothers, sisters, mothers, sons, daughters, and they have missed so much of their children's lives, so much of their family's lives. And that's not what we put on earth. It's not what we put down here to live. We're put down here for more than that. Exactly. And I think I think the biggest shock mm-hmm. was the amount of people that were functionally illiterate, that literally could not read. Oh, wow. I never would have guessed that in this day and time, people couldn't read. Now, they have there people is, that work with them to read or, or no? Or is that your choice to yeah, read? Yeah, they had, they had DVD programs. 
reading programs, GED programs, trade programs. You could actually go through in, in the state of Texas and get your welding certificates, HVAC and whatnot, so you could go out. If you apply to stuff, you go back out and get a decent job. You go back out with an HVAC certificate and a bonded company, and you could go ahead and work and actually make money. But the thing is, you have to be able to read to do the work. How do you make it to 21, 22, 23, 25 years old and not be able to read? That's that's just eye-opening to me that's going on like that. That's Oh, my God. And, and by functional literate, I mean, you know, red light means go. Yellow light means you might get a ticket. Green light means you can go. Red light is stop. Uh, you might know how to sign your name. You might not. It might just be some scribbles. But for me to hand you a magazine or a book, if you can't read, how do you know what it said on the paper when you sign for your time? Just mm. saying, man. Like... The amount of people, on the flip side of that, the amount of people that go to court and have court-appointed lawyers that don't realize that the court-appointed lawyer works for the state. Exactly. You have on $40,000 worth of jewelry, and you can't afford a real lawyer. How does that work out? Because the court appointed works in the state, his sole job is to ensure that the docket moves smoothly and quickly. His job is to make sure the docket runs. He gets you in and out of court. He's going to tell you whatever he has to tell you to put your name on that bottom line to help you move through. Exactly. And I was, you know what's so crazy about it? Uh, uh, Jay, Monique, and I do a segment together. And we discussed, you did know, a story about the dude who punched his lawyer, and got, who got 47 years and punched the lawyer in the face. Did you hear about that story? Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so I said, in a segment, you got to realize the public defenders, the court clerks, the judge, the DA prosecutors, they're all boys. They go out on Friday nights together. Yep. So yes, they do. So he, they, they all, they all working on a team, and you just like the pawn in in their game. So that's, that was that was my whole analysis yep. in my rant about that story when she brought it up to me in that segment. And hearing what you said is so true because when you got a public defender or a county lawyer, that's all within the system. They all work all work together. Yep. They, they they go out for cocktails after Friday nights after court ends, session ends, and you just give me four years. After you sign for 40 years, they all go to happy hour, go to brunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then it's just like playing Monopoly. It's just real-life Monopoly. Do not do not pass gold. Do not collect $200. Uh, you got 10 years. You'll do probably anywhere from 3 to 7. When you come home, you go to parole. Depending on if you pay crime shoppers or not, you pay between 18 and $200 a month, plus your UA fees. It's, you know, it's, it's it's all about money at the end of the day. But the thing is, we keep volunteering ourselves to jump into the system. And once they get you, they got you. Why do we keep volunteering as a people? Why do youngsters think it's cool because we made it cool? Because we make every dude on a rap song talking about he's shooting somebody cool. But he never talks about his homeboy that got 55 years from murder. And he's never coming home. He never talked about his boy got 45 eggs. So for ag time in Texas means you had to do three quarters. So when he gets that 45 egg, he's pulling 38. He's pulling 38 long. 
the sickest thing I ever heard somebody told, whenever you go to TDC in Texas, when you hit your unit, you go to a parole officer. No matter how much time you have, how little, how much you go to parole officer, when you first get there, they say, okay, well, you know what, you got this much time, you got to do this much time for you have to go parole, stay out of trouble, blah, 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 trying to get your education. So you get these youngsters that get in there, 18, 19, 20 years old, they hard as stone, they don't care about nothing. They get these big numbers, 25, 35, 45 years. They go see parole officers. I heard parole officer laugh at them and say, you know what, youngster? I'm not going to lie to you. Your parole officer not born yet. Mm. The youngster started crying. He said, what? He said, your parole officer isn't born yet. He said, you got 35 years. He said, hey, he said, you got to pull at least 28, 29. The parole officer that you will come down here and sit in the office set on this unit and tell you you made parole is not born yet. He's going to be born, go through kindergarten through 12th grade, go to college, get his associate's degree, apply to the system, get hired, and come to this unit before you make parole. That has to be a sickening feeling for a youngster, 18, 19 years old. Has he real, a real uh, man, sick they go, they go buck wild. They don't care, man. Stabbing, fighting, doing everything they can. And the system is designed to hold you like that. So my biggest problem right now is when I see some of these TV shows with these major entertainment gurus that have made it, and they all have TV shows, and I look at some of the stuff that they push, we all know that there's a problem out here. We all know that there's an issue. We all know the young people are making the left turn to Albuquerque and never getting back on track. But when I'm doing cardio in the gym, and I'm watching all these different major entertainment individuals with all these major shows and geeks and freaks and all this weird stuff. So I'm personally disappointed that some of these bigger-time celebrities aren't taking a more active role in reaching out to people that can reach out and actually be heard and be seen.